Hey, welcome back for another episode of Transform Your Workplace. Thanks for the download today. Today's episode is brought to you by Zenium HR. Learn more about Zenium's complete HR plus payroll solution at zeniumhr.com. In today's episode, I have a conversation with Melanie Langset. Melanie is the rewards and well-being leader at Deloitte, and she has three decades of expertise in employee benefits administration and human capital consulting. And now she's in a leadership role internally for Deloitte's rewards and well-being. And so we have a conversation about Deloitte's inventive approach to employee well-being and how they set themselves apart by offering flexible benefits that really cater to each individual's unique needs. So I think you're going to learn a lot about how to kind of get rid of this one-size-fits-all benefit package. You, you can learn a lot from this and get creative in your own organization. So you can meet people where they're at. You're going to have a lot of good takeaways in this episode. So I hope you enjoy the conversation with Melanie Langset of Deloitte. Enjoy today's episode. Melanie, it is a pleasure to have you on Transform Your Workplace. Thanks for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. You are the rewards and well-being leader at Deloitte. And before you went internal in this role, you have tons of experience working with lots of businesses. And so we're going like, to kind of mishmash your experience with all these organizations through being a consultant at Deloitte to like, how are you working with the internal team and, and their well-being. And, and you're leading in a great way. So we're going to dive into all that. The last few years have been pretty tough. And I think employers are really starting to wake up to offering certain types of benefits that impact their well-being in a positive way. Let's start with flexible benefits. What do we mean by flexible benefits? Maybe provide a, a few examples of these types of benefits and how they promote well-being and overall performance. Yeah. And I have been at this for a long time, Brandon, as you said. So when you say flexible benefits, what some people immediately think about is the old cafeteria plans. Like I could choose this or choose that, and it was flexible. But the design of those plans was fixed. So there was no flexibility within the design. And when we think about flexible benefits today, what we're really thinking about is how do we create choices within the construct of a benefit? So, for example, Deloitte has a well-being subsidy, which is $1,000 on an annual basis that our employees can use to pay for, whether it's equipment or subscriptions or a mattress or other things that contribute to their well-being. And that flexibility allows them each year to think about what is going to work for them, what's going to meet them where they are. And so that's one example of how flexibility can be built into your benefits. It's not just about, do I choose this or that, but how can I actually utilize it? Another great example is the whole concept of paid time off, which 
historically was chunks of time for sick leave and for vacation time, et cetera. But designing a PTO program that doesn't require you to take it for any specific reason, nor in any specific increments. So telling someone they have to take a full day off when all they need is two hours, that's flexibility. So those are a couple of examples that I think are better designed to meet the humans as humans with all their different needs um, and as they evolve through your life. I love the idea of the subsidy. I don't know if I hear of a lot of companies doing that. That seems to be a pretty progressive move by Deloitte. How are some people using that? And like, I want to hear some creative ideas. Like, how are people using that thousand dollars? That's a lot. It is a lot. And the eligible reimbursement categories are very expansive. So I would say there's no specific trend, but I'll give you some examples of some of the more creative. We know of employees who have purchased boxing gloves and joined boxing gyms as a way both to thrive mentally and physically. I mentioned mattresses a moment ago, but gardening tools and the implements you need to maybe grow your own healthy food or uh, flowers or or ways to get out of the house, increase your vitamin D and care for your, your well-being in that regard. The things that you would normally think about, like sports equipment, you know, those are, are pretty common, but I think one of the most unique ones that I've ever seen is uh, someone used it to be a part of a geocaching community, which for those who are not familiar is a real thing and it, it can be a lot of fun and it gets you out and in community with others, which we know is so important after we've been separated from others for the past several years. Another thing I wanted to hone in on when it comes to flexible benefits is the inclusive nature of the flexibility. Like I think we talk about, you know, in our DEI efforts to make sure that we're equitable, inclusive. In your experience in in working both with clients and then in creating some of these flexible benefits internally at Deloitte, have you put a concerted effort towards making sure that they're inclusive to different groups and for the entire organization? Yeah, and that's one of our six guiding principles when we think about our strategic imperative around helping our professionals thrive mentally, physically, and financially and and be able to care for their own well-being is that everything we do is designed through the lens of equitable and inclusive. And so I'll give you an example of that. In June of 2022, we had an opportunity to revisit the benefit that we have that supports medical travel. When you need to see a doctor or have services from an in-network service provider in one of our medical benefits that is not within a commutable distance of your home. So if, if you have to go over 100 miles to find that doctor that can serve your needs, we decided that we would add to our medical benefit plans the reimbursement for that travel. You know, in the past, medical travel was really focused in on life-saving treatments, so end-of-life cancer treatments and things of that nature. But we looked at some of the needs of our workforce across the variety of, you know, geographies that they live in and recognized that there was an opportunity for us to help our employees get equitable access to healthcare by adding that medical travel benefit. Do you ever run into the, an issue of like fairness, like meaning, well, I'm done having kids. And so let's say you have a paid parental leave offering. So that's, you know, that's a flexible benefit that is like, okay, I'm about to be off for three months because I want to be with my newborn. And some people, maybe they're, they want to go back to school and there's 
tuition reimbursement or uh, subsidies there or long-term care or something like that, where it's like, you may be in a group that can get that benefit and it's great for you, but for another group, not so great. How are you handling those types of issues? Yeah, it's a great question. And when you have large numbers of employees with a large variety of needs and you're trying to meet people where they are, it's impossible to have a one-size-fits-one, but you can't have a one-size-fits-all approach either. And so the parental leave that you referenced is one that is commonly available to employees uh, from a lot of their employers. And when Deloitte looked at that, we said caring for children is not the only caregiving needs that our workforce has. We have those who are in those, you know, starting and raising their family part of their life. And we have those who are in the caring for partners or spouses or those who are caring for their parents. And so we designed a family leave program that allows a professional to take time off, paid time off in addition to their PTO, to care for or bond with. So bond with a a new child, whether it's through surrogacy or adoption or natural birth, or to care for the health of their spouse, partner, or their parents. And the utilization of that benefit has been interesting to watch. You would immediately expect that it is primarily used by the women in our workforce, but it's actually 57% of those And it's been pretty consistent in that 55 to 58% are men and the the balance being women. And while the utilization is primarily for bonding with the new child, there's at least 25 to 30% of the utilization of that benefit, which is for care for others. So, you know, when you think about, I am not in this situation, therefore I don't need that benefit. If you're thinking about what you're doing as a job, And just in the here and now, that could be frustrating. If you're thinking about as a career and working for an organization that has the benefit portfolio that's going to meet you at those different life events, we call them life journeys, then that portfolio, while it might not apply to you right this minute, it's comforting to know that it's there when you do need it. That's the word I would say, because in my mind, I'm like, this is a great like safety net for people. It gives them ease to know that they could just go about their work day and like know that if something happened, whether it's a medical issue or I wanted to have a kid or whatever it may be, you know, my employer is is backing me up on this and I'm not going to like lose my job. And I, this is a benefit I have. I think that's an attraction and retention tool. Correct me if I'm wrong. <laughs> it is, but it's also, I mean, and you said it, we very intentionally talk about supporting our employees' ability to thrive mentally, physically, and financially in that order. Because if you're stressed, if you're concerned about your well-being or the well-being of your family, you're distracted. So you may be at work, but you might not be fully present. You're not able to bring your best self and therefore do your best work. So A lot of the things that we do may feel like they are focused on your financial well-being or your physical well-being when, in fact, it really starts with the mental well-being. Yeah, for sure. I want to talk about time off and the importance of it. And I think too many, I'm, I'm probably in this camp too, where you have PTO and you don't use it. But we know, and I'm sure you know specifically because you probably have data behind it, that people are happier and healthier and have a better balance when they take time off, you know, true time off away from work and not, you know, not connected. So elaborate on 
the importance of PTO, disconnecting from work, and maybe some of the unique things that Deloitte's doing. Maybe you have something beyond PTO that people are able to disconnect from work on. Yeah, Brandon, it's a, an age-old problem that it is one that gets discussed and debated a lot on how do we encourage the utilization of time away from work. Not only being away, but to the point you made, truly unplugging, because it's only then that you can recuperate, you can relax. So one thing that I talk to my clients about all the time when I was you know, in the consulting side of my career was how do you permission your workforce to actually take advantage of the benefit that you've provided to them? So what are the behaviors that leaders need and what is the demonstration that you need to make that you're encouraging people to take time away? And there are certain industries actually that have forced time off, but that doesn't necessarily mean people are taking it when it is best for them or that they're able to, to really unplug. So a couple of the things that Deloitte has done that I think could be an illustration for others is, and we're seeing more and more companies starting to do this, it actually, I have to give credit to the manufacturing industry that for a long time would have year-end shutdowns where they would shut down the plant and everyone got time off together. And so pulling that into an organization like ours, we started many years ago with a, an end of the calendar year, what we called collective disconnect. So shutting down for that last year of the calendar year to give everyone the time to not worry about, am I missing a meeting? Am I missing an email? Am I letting my team down? Um, what I call the FOMO of PTO, because we all have it. We don't want to miss out. And we also, you know, when you think about what you have to do to get ready to go on a holiday or a vacation, and then what you have to do when you come back, that can be daunting. Like, how do I prepare everybody that I'm working with? How do I make sure everything's covered? How do it not become a burden to others? And then how do I dig out when I come back? When you have a collective disconnect, a lot of that preparation on the front end and a lot of that, you know, re-entry on the back end goes away. What we heard from our employees was that it was the most recuperative time that they had ever had. It was almost like changing jobs, but without having to change a job, which is you know not what you necessarily want to do. So we started experimenting around the holidays in the U.S. and festivals for some of our employees outside the U.S. that were really impactful and mattered to that group of employees. And creating extended times off around, you know, a three-day, turn a three-day weekend into a four- or five-day weekend. And then in the summertime, we just came back from our summer collective disconnect, which in the U.S. is organized around Independence Day holiday. And it gives our people permission as well to tack on a couple of days of PTO if they so desire to really extend, you know, from a five-day period to a seven- or eight- or nine-day period of time away. Um, and we've found that our productivity individually and collectively is so much higher after a collective disconnect because we all have had that time to really be away and not yeah. feeling like we're slaves to our devices. Do you think like the challenges that come with taking time off, if it's been, you know, like for, for employees who just don't take it, is it a behavior problem on their side or is it um, employers providing the space? Because what comes to mind for me, and I, I'm, this is, I'm just using myself as an example, but maybe others can relate. Early in the pandemic, when I shifted remote, 
and I'm locked in my house, like there's nowhere to go. So like, I'm not taking PTO because I'm already there and I might as well work. Did other people have that same mentality where they actually created poor behavior? Because I that still carry that with me in some ways where it's really on me not taking PTO. It's not, it's not my employer. I've got plenty of PTO. I just don't do it. So what, what's the answer there? I think that that is absolutely something we're still recovering from post-pandemic is the behaviors that we developed during that period. And I would say that we think, you know, the mindset around PTO is if I can't go somewhere, then I shouldn't take time off. And I would say that taking time away, even if you are working in your yard, cleaning out your attic or your closets, or just sitting on the couch and binge watching your, you know, the, the series that you've been wanting to catch up on is important. So it, and it doesn't even have to be a whole day. You can just do, you know, an afternoon. But I think that behavioral pattern that you mentioned is, is now something that we're going to have to fight against. We encourage our leaders to change their out-of-office messaging when they're taking time away and being really clear about what it is they're doing. Not just, I'm away from my desk, but I'm taking this afternoon to go do some shopping because I need some retail therapy or whatever it might be, but demonstrating that it's okay. You don't have to take a fancy, extensive trip, but just being away from your devices, giving yourself a digital disconnect creating that space for you to think, and then you can, you know, come back uh, recovered. I love that. I'm sure you ran across this with your clients in the consulting world. Do unlimited PTO plans work? Uh, I think I know the answer. The data would say that those organizations that have implemented unlimited PTO actually see a decline in the utilization of PTO. And many of the organizations that I saw experiment with it, have gone back to a more set amount of PTO because they really want to encourage people to take time off. And again, it's not just taking time off for vacations. It's taking time off when you don't feel well. If there is one good thing that comes out of the pandemic, I hope that it's that when we don't feel well, we give ourselves permission to stay home and take a day and, and rest, you know, sip the chicken soup and the hot tea and and just give ourselves permission to recover. But PTO banks are generally intended to be used for a lot of different purposes, not just vacation. Yeah, agreed. I talked about earlier, like a lot of organizations have the emphasis on diversity, equity, inclusion practices. And from your standpoint with being a well-being leader, how do you ensure that the benefits and the perks and all the other strategies around well-being are meeting the needs, the unique needs of a diverse group of employees. I mean, you got employees all over the world, right? So you have diversity there. How are you making sure that you're listening and closely paying attention to what they need? Well, that's the key is listening. And it's not leading the witness with a preset idea of what you want to do, but it's actually creating the space for your workforce to provide you input that is without agenda attached. So a lot of times we do talent surveys at Deloitte, like most clients, many of my clients in my years in client service, you know, did surveys of their workforce. But if you read closely the construct of the questions, you have to be careful not to be leading toward a specific outcome. 
So crafting your questions in a way that allows your workforce to provide you actual feedback and open-ended questions, which are really tough to deal with at you know, the scale that of a Deloitte or other large employer. But there are so many tools available to us today, you know, AI tools as an example, that can allow us to actually listen, not just through uh, you know, a typed answer, but using crowdsourcing type approaches to soliciting feedback. And when given the opportunity, and many times even without being prompted, your employees will tell you what they like, what they don't like, what they need, what you know their wants are, and then using that insight both through you know active listening and passive listening it is really important to the way you, you continue to evolve your rewards programs, the way you care for the, the well-being of your workforce. How would you say that you're spending your time? Because I... In- just from what you just said, I'm thinking, okay, you're doing a lot of listening. You must have tools and a mechanism for collecting this type of feedback. And then using that data, trying to create some themes around it and then take action on it. Maybe put a budget behind it if, if need be and probably work with the executive team to to make some changes. So I'm just curious, like, how do you spend your time most of the time? Uh, my personal time is spent more in that, you know, strategic uh, frame, if you will, on what are we doing today and how should that be evolving over the next three to five years? So I have an amazing team that works with me that is, one, making sure that everything we're doing today, we're doing at the best, you know, that we possibly can, whether it's meeting all the regulatory requirements of all the states and countries that we operate in, whether it's making sure that we're being good stewards of our firm's resources, both time and money. But my job is primarily to be looking around the corner at what's next. What is the Generation Z as they move into roles of expectation and leadership? What is the portfolio that we're going to need in order to meet the needs and expectations of that workforce and the one coming behind them? How do we have a common strategy, but geographically appropriate application of that strategy for our workforce in different countries? We cannot look at a workforce through the lens of just age and gender or any other demographic cut. We really have to look at the you know, the intersections of what makes us individuals and think through, you know, that type of lens versus I think some of the historic manners of, well, if you're this age and this level and this, you know, gender or demographic, this is what you want and expect. And so, like you said, it's it's digging into the data, working with our people analytics team and uh, also looking at, you know, what's happening outside of our organization. It's critically important for me to keep an eye on what is happening in the world and, and with you know other employers as well. Yeah, it seems to me like, especially if you're operating three to five years out, there's only so much data that you can collect around like what the needs of the people are right now versus trying to project three to five years. I mean, especially for a generation that may not even be in the workforce yet. Like what do you, what kind of benefits and and perks and rewards are we going to be offering three to five years down the road for people that are are in high school or college right now? 
Like, how do you even know? Like you Right. And what matters when you're in a hybrid work environment versus when you're in an office work environment and, and the variety of ways in which work gets done today and will be getting, you know, will be evolving in the future. I'm incredibly thankful that I have a great consultancy as part of our organization that I was once part of. And the Human Capital Trends Report that organization puts out every year is always looking into the future. So that's a, a little bit of a crystal ball that I can utilize as well. So for employers that like are, they're listening to this podcast and they're like, well, we're not as big as Deloitte. We don't have a huge team to be focused on this. What advice would you have for, for them? You know, is it, is it getting their hands on the Deloitte report? Cause you guys are doing a lot of the work about projecting what's coming like what's here now, what's coming. And then, you know, how do you make change in your organization when it's, you know, maybe things are set a certain way. Maybe the benefits was a one size fits all, but we have a progressive HR person that's really trying to make change to meet the needs of the, the employees. Like what, what do you recommend? Well, I've had clients that were, you know, as few as 300 employees and as many as 300,000. So I can say that regardless of size, first of all, understanding what your business's objectives are as an HR professional is critical. So how am I being accreted to achieving the objectives of the business that I'm a part of through the lens of making sure that our people are thriving so that they can be as productive as possible and what matters to them because every workforce is different it's comprised of you know different set of humans so looking at what everybody else is doing can be informative but should not be your guide to what you're doing with and for your workforce very frequently in the past that was the standard is what's everybody else doing let's do that Right. So my advice, regardless of size, is understand your workforce and how you can meet their needs while helping to achieve the business objectives that your organization has set out. If you could think of like a couple things that are so easy to implement and so impactful at the same time. So like just low hanging fruit, if you could think of a couple things that an HR professional or leader who, who's focused on well-being of their, their people what they could do right now as an action that is quick. Hit. I don't know that any of them are quick and easy. <laughs> Probably not. So if, if I come up with any of those, I'll definitely let you know. <laughs> but my experience tells me that even those that sound quick and easy always have tentacles that you, you need to consider. But I think at this moment in time, it's really, if you're focused on the well-being of your workforce, it's making sure that your people leaders are committed to that because they're the ones who are engaging day-to-day, moment-to-moment with your workforce and can create the culture and environment that is going to demonstrate your commitment because well-being starts with how work gets done, right? And it's the way that we engage with one another. It's the way we treat one another. It's that psychological safety I spoke about that has to be there because without that as a foundation, all the plans and programs in the world are really not going to help you advance your objective. Yeah. It seems like at the ground level, like what like a manager leader level could really do is in one-on-one specifically with their people have some question around how's your well-being? Like, what do you need to be in a better spot? And then also for leaders to model the behavior too. So like what you said earlier about the out of office, if like I'm a leader, I've got people that report to me. If they see that like, hey, I'm traveling, I went to the beach, whatever it may be, I went shopping, I'm disconnected. 
and I'm modeling that behavior that I, I would hope that my employees would do so as well. I think a lot of employees are looking at leaders and managers for how to behave. And that seems like a quick, easy thing to do. It sounds like a quick and easy thing. And I would agree with you that it is critically important for me as a people leader to understand what is important to the people on my team and how I can create an environment where they feel like their well-being is cared for. However, that's human behavior that you're trying to influence. That's true. Right? (laughs) And so um, what I would say about that is what you measure matters. So if you care about well-being, then you need to put that in your measurement systems as well. You need to create an environment where it is clearly an expectation of your team leaders, your people leaders, that they are going to engage in those types of conversations. And you allow your people to provide feedback through whatever mechanism you use around 360 degree feedback or upward feedback as to whether that's actually happening or not. Well, Melanie, this was a great discussion. It went really fast. It was like time went by. Um, any resources or any ways to connect with you? Anything that you want to give listeners before we leave? Yeah, I mean, I would love for folks to uh, join me in conversation on LinkedIn. Uh, I think I'm fairly easy to find. And for those who are interested more in what Deloitte's doing, uh, there's a plethora of information available on Deloitte.com and would encourage uh, your listeners to reach out if there's anything they'd like to chat about. My guest today has been Melanie Langset. Melanie's the rewards and well-being leader at Deloitte. Thanks for being on the podcast today, Melanie. Thank you for having me, Brandon. It's great. The views, thoughts, and opinions expressed are the guest's own and do not represent the views, thoughts, and opinions of Zenium HR or the host, Brandon Laws. The material and information presented on Transform Your Workplace is for general information and educational purposes only. Zenium HR or the host, Brandon Laws, does not necessarily endorse any guest, their business, or any organization they represent. Discretion is advised. Please work with a trusted advisor to find a custom approach that fits your organization's needs.